name is Whitney Harper. I work for the University of Washington uh, in the Internal Medicine Residency Program. I manage resident schedules and I also partner with our APDs for subspecialty medicine and primary care. So I work a lot on curriculum and rotations uh, for our residents as well. I've been in my position for almost six years now. Um, before then, I worked in OB-GYN, managing student and fellowship programs. So I have about 12 years of experience as an educational administrator from clerkships through fellowships. If you could go back in time, what's the one thing you wished that somebody would have told you when you first started? I imagine many of us uh, as education administrators have experienced, it was kind of figuring out on the fly <laughs> what we're doing. And I just wish that there was some sort of handbook that someone gave me. I was like, this is what your job is. Have you seen some improvement there when it comes to onboarding new administrators or is there still more work that needs to be done there? There is more work that needs to be done. I think a lot of it is institutional, but I do think that having a course like this for new education administrators is huge. I hope that doing this course, you all feel a little bit more onboarded and I hope that this will become a trend nationally. So when you look at the course, what topic excites you the most? I really get excited about conversations around recruitment and transitions from UME to GME, from residency to fellowship. I think that's because my experience is so longitudinal. I've worked with students and I've worked with residents, and I particularly am very interested in the transition period and how best to support trainees through that, whether that's a handoff from the UME side to better prepare them for residency or whether that's on the residency or fellowship side to you know, reach out to the new uh, residents and fellows and make sure that they feel welcome and that they are prepared to succeed in the program. Do you have any specific stories? You, you talk about the transitioning. I'm assuming you're talking about from medical school to when they move into residency. Any stories that stand out in your mind of where you really wished that, you know, there was something there to help? Yeah. So I've, I've seen it from both sides. I've seen students who are really anxious and uncertain about whether or not they are prepared to start residency. I would talk with second year and early third year medical students and talk a little bit about their interests and how they can prepare themselves for possibly applying to residencies. And I feel like education administrators don't do enough to really help support the trainees on the UME end as they go through the application process. You know, they, they have their career advisor, they have their mentors, they have the faculty. Um, they might have a school institutional career advisor, but the people that know them well are going to be the clerkship administrators who have seen them in their clerkship and who have seen them through electives. And having a strong relationship just to be there to support and to let them know, hey, you only have like five or six interviews. That's okay. You're going to do great. We have so many connections as education administrators, and I don't think we realize just how many connections we have and how we can use those connections to support our trainees. You had mentioned uh, earlier that you're looking forward to the recruitment section. Can you talk a little bit about what gets you excited about that and some of the tips that you really hope that students in this course get out of the section on recruitment? I love seeing the faculty and the applicants interact. I think that's really fun to watch. The excitement and the anticipation is really fun for me um, on both ends. Like 
these people might be our next residents. That's really cool. And the applicants are just, you know, kind of wide-eyed, especially early in recruitment, going, is this the right program for me? And I just, I love seeing those interactions. Um, what I think education administrators should know as they prepare for recruitment is any time that there is training on how to interact with applicants, EDI training, or just like interview training, I feel like we need to attend those as well. We need to know what the faculty are told on how to engage with applicants because we are also engaging with the applicants and that is important for us to know as well. So we are all on the same page. Additionally, faculty are going to reach out to you as the educational administrator. You are part of the leadership team and it is important that you engage in this process as much as possible as well. I think there's a section in the course on working with struggling trainees. Can you define that and then talk about what type of recommendations you have or stories? As the scheduler, I do need to know when someone is struggling so we can put them on a better rotation that will better prepare them for success as they continue and progress through residency. Struggling trainees in UME, it's important that education administrators loop in the clerkship director if they hear anything about a struggling student. You are often going to be the liaison from the residents who work with the students, the faculty, uh, if you have multiple clerkship sites, um, many times people will reach out to you because, again, you are coordinating all of this. Um, and just looping in the appropriate people, sometimes that's going to be student affairs as well um, within the institution, just to make sure that everyone is aware and they can support the person as they need to be successful. Sometimes that's going to mean pulling them off of the rotation. Sometimes that means, you know, helping coordinate more structured coaching or more one-on-one -on -one, um, time with specific faculty. Any kind of stories on how you learn to cope with the, with the position and the stress of the environment? And, and what would you say to new administrators as it relates to taking care of themselves? I'm going to say something that might be a little controversial, but there is nothing that you need to do after hours. Granted, there might be an emergent situation where your program director calls you and you do have to act after hours, but I know many people who have email on their phone who work after hours, but your time should be your time. I've learned this the hard way. I've worked too much um, at many points in my time in both UME and GME. And what I realized when I stopped doing that is that people stop emailing you on weekends and late at night because they aren't expecting an answer right away. It's important that you take time away from work to be a person. You are not your work. Okay, so let's move to uh, maybe a little more stressful topic for a new administrator, and that's tackling the ACGME and the UME guidelines. Can you address any kind of stories of how you consumed those guidelines? When I worked in UME, I will be honest that I had no introduction to LCME. It wasn't until I attended um, an education conference, kind of like AIM, where they were doing a UME bingo style thing. And I was very lost, where they would say, this this standard has to do with blah, blah, blah. And people would like raise their paddle and guess and get candy. And I'd be like, wait, we're supposed to know all this? And this was embarrassingly two years into my time as a clerkship administrator. So if you have not heard about uh, LCMB standards, that's okay. But they are extremely beneficial once you do 
dive into them um, and learn about them because there are things that when I read them, I'm like, oh, I forgot about that, or maybe that's changed since the last revision. But it's it's useful that you have resources to point to if there are any questions on why your program is doing something. Um, as for ACGME, um, my introduction to ACGME standards was a little bit different as well. Um, my fellowships were non-ACGME accredited at first. Um, they were accredited by the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology, that is who accredited OB-GYN fellowships for many years. Um, but the last year that I was in that position in 2016, there was news that everything would move to ACGME. So I had to, I really had to learn all of the ACGME accreditation very quickly as I prepared applications for ACG, ACGME accreditation for two fellowships. Um, it is a lot, um, but don't panic. Um, there are things that you'll read once and you'll never revisit because it doesn't really apply to you specifically. Um, there are other parts that you're going to work in more and you'll need to know a little bit better and you'll know that when you read it. You, you will just know, hey, this program evaluation piece, that's something that I need to know or you know, clinical hours or you know, stuff about core faculty, that, that's stuff that you'll know that you need to deal with, but you know, other things that are specific to faculty um, appointments or very specific things uh, with accreditation may not apply to you. And reading them once and glossing over, that's fine. Like it, you don't need to know everything. You just need to know what's important for your job. And in my job currently, because I don't deal with accreditation as much, I need to know the continuity clinic and the clinical requirements part for scheduling. And that's what I am focused on in my job. Um, I let everything else go to the side until I have questions that are asked. And the great thing is that everything is posted and available online for you to find those answers easily. So you don't need to remember everything off the top of your head because you have the resources available that you can easily look at. Um, you mentioned program evaluation. Anything you want to add there in terms of your life lessons that that, that relate to that topic? I would say that the hardest thing that I've found is to keep your faculty on track for addressing the action items. As things come up across the year, interest and uh, focus on things that have already happened or needed development kind of fall off the radar because you're always addressing something in the immediate. Uh, an emergency, you know, you drop everything, but you may forget to pick up the threads past um, program evaluations. And it's important that we address things that we identified as problem areas in the program, because those are not going to go away unless we address them. They're not just gonna magically fix themselves. And you're gonna find yourself the next year going, oh, we talked about this in length last year, but we didn't do anything. And this has happened in every single program I've worked in. And just know that it happens, but if you can remind yourself throughout the year to go back and look, at the action items to remind the people who said they would be working on it. And that, that might be you uh, who's part of that process um, to just pick up those threads and work on them throughout the year. Any comments on, you know, being aware of diversity, equity, and inclusion? Do you have any feelings about what portion of your job that becomes more important? Yeah, uh, it's definitely important, like very important as we talk about recruitment to do everything through an equity lens. I will say that the work doesn't stop. It's not just 
you think about diversity, equity, inclusion during recruitment, it is something you, you need to weave into everything you do. There are times that I am engaging with residents who did not grow up as an advantage that I had. And it's important for me to do the work on my end so that I am not outwardly biased when I'm engaging with them or when I'm thinking about their experiences. It's so important for me to do the work to become a better person. The, the terminology we use is different today than it was two years ago and everything progresses and changes and that's great and we need to stay on top of that. But we need to continue to educate ourselves so that we can push down the fences and give everyone equal opportunities. I'm going to move on to your own professional development stories and what you feel is important to tell new administrators in terms of what kind of education training they should seek out to improve themselves and to be a better administrator? First of all, I think it's really important to network with other people who are in the job that you're in, which I, I think that AIM does a really great job of having courses and opportunities to engage. I'm a member of the PAC. I'm the chair of the member engagement committee, and we're trying to do more to engage and encourage engagement with our members. But I also want to just acknowledge that this may not be the long-term career of yours. My professional development journey has been a little bit different than some others because I know where I want to be long-term. And so I'm doing what I can to get there. If you have no idea what you want to do, that's fine too. But just make sure that you are engaging with others because opportunities are going to present themselves uh, in your career. And it's really great to have people to engage with and to you know bounce ideas off of each other. Uh, I've learned to develop relationships with many people outside of my organization, which I love. I also um, am involved in the Gender Equity Council in my department. Basically, any time an opportunity to get involved arises, I say yes, because I was told very early in my career that anytime something scares you, that's not dangerous. You should say yes, because really you should be doing those things because that's going to help me grow. You know, maybe additional education is something that you might be interested. In. It might not be. And that's fine, too. Um, there are many things that you can get engaged with and really you can pick and choose and it's great. So as far as generic type of skill courses, I'm talking about, you know, delegation, supervision, conflict, you know, okay, if you could just kind of rattle off some of the skills you think would be helpful. You know, I know that a lot of schools have, you know, half day workshops on, on these topics. If you could address that, that'd be great. Conflict resolution, I think, is really great. Uh, organization, especially if you are kind of a scattered person, learning how to organize things professionally is good. Um, I would say if you are not um, strong in your office skills, so your Microsoft Office, uh, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, um, those types of things, taking a course to really grow those skills is, is going to benefit you a lot in these in this work. Any communication course is good um, because that's what we do is communicate. <laughs> I'd like to hear a story, if you have one, about how you work to uh, better get along with your program directors. In other words, what kind of experiences have you had that you thought, whoa, yeah, that was that was a good, good idea that I did that? Since I've started in my position, I have had to onboard three new APDs that I work very closely with. So just this past July, we had a new associate program director for primary care start. Um, her interview last spring, 
there were some things that really worried me about potentially working with this new APD. Um, you know, I, I heard some things that maybe thought that she would not respect my boundaries of not always being on call, you know, um, maybe that she would text me too much uh, instead of using my preferred methods of communication, which is Teams or email for non-urgent things. Um, when she started, I was very clear of this is how I am most successful working. Um, these are my boundaries. And apart from like maybe one or two instances, she has been very respectful of that. And we have grown to have a very strong working relationship because we had that conversation early on. Previous working relationships with faculty, I have not said anything about my working style or my boundaries or anything like that. And it has been a lot of work after the fact to really place those boundaries and, you know, help them understand how to best communicate with me. And having those conversations early on in the working relationship is crucial. I really wish I had had those conversations earlier with past faculty. Are there any topics that you haven't talked about that you have a, a good story or piece of advice for? I just want to share my process for uh, building schedules for incoming R1s. And this, this kind of aids in the transition to residency. Um, for anyone who is building schedules, I know that some programs have chief residents build schedules. But if you are building the schedule or helping with intern schedules, what I like to do, and this has been very helpful, I think, for the new R1s, is I ask them what their most recent year of clinical experience looked like. So I understand which experiences they've had, so I can put them on rotations that will better prepare them for success. So if I see that they've done an elective or a sub-I on the MICU or in the wards late in the year, in their most recent clinical year, they're probably going to be most successful in a similar rotation early in residency. And then I also ask, you know, what are you most nervous about? And I'm very clear that, you know, I, I can't guarantee that I won't put them in that rotation early in the year, but asking that helps me, A, learn a little bit more about them, and B, it helps me see, like, if someone says, I'm really nervous about Hemonk because I have never been in Hemonk before, I go, oh, so I probably shouldn't start them on Hemonk, but I should also probably put them on wards before their Hemonk block, so they have a little bit more medicine um, before they do that and they're better prepared and they know the, the system um, at the hospital better. So there are things that I do that I strategize to really help the new residents be more successful. I also ask them what excites them most um, or what one thing that we can do to help their wellness. Um, I ask those questions and those questions I do share um, with the faculty and the other staff in the program, um, but I de-identify all of the responses so they don't know, um, but it gets a better sense of where the new residents are for everyone um, and what they're excited about and what we can do to support their wellness as they start. Oh, what about finding a mentor? Do you have any comments on, on that? Yeah. So we used to have a very robust mentorship program with the member engagement committee. Um, the person who served as chair before me would kind of try to find mentors for new people who asked for them. Um, but we recently merged this with AIMS mentoring program. So we've asked people to really look on AIMS member or membership website for mentorship to find mentors or mentees. So I really think that there are opportunities to find mentors. But if there is not someone who you 
click with immediately or it's okay to find a new mentor. That happens. If anyone has trouble finding a mentor on the AIM website, please let me know because that is something that I am involved with as the chair of the member engagement committee. And I have many connections through my time working with the PAC and other places. So I want to make sure that everyone has a mentor who needs one. <laughs> Why? Why is it so important? It's so important because as you go through the year, you're going to have so many questions. Like when I was trying to navigate the ACGME website, when I was applying for ACGME accreditation for my fellowships, I had so many questions because I had never done that before. And knowing that I could reach out to other people in my institution who were ACGME accredited uh, programs, that was huge because I just got on the phone and I was like, tell me about this. And your mentor doesn't have to be in the specialty that you're in. If you click with someone at your institution who's maybe in anesthesia or something, they can definitely be your mentor as you go through graduate medical education things. But it is also helpful to have someone in your specific fellowship or residency to bounce off questions that you have that are spe specific to that. So one final question. Can you just briefly explain to me the academic year? So in January, you were going to be submitting milestone reports to ACGME. You were going to be probably ending recruitment in January. You are going to be scheduling ranking meetings um, so you can rank all of the applications or applicants who just went and interviewed at your program. Those are the main things. I will recommend that everyone take vacation right after recruitment is over. Once you submit your rank lists in February, take vacation because soon in March, you're going to have match week and you're going to have to prepare to onboard all of the new residents joining your program in March. You're going to be creating schedules if that's something that your position does. You're going to be getting a lot of information from the new R1s so you can get their lab coats ordered. You can make sure everything is set for them to join. You're going to get information from those graduating your program on where they're going next. You're going to be writing letters of recommendation probably with your um, program director for faculty appointments for new residents who are joining your institution as faculty. March through June is going to be busy for you. June is when orientation starts. It's also when graduation happens. June is the worst. Take vacation in July. Take vacation in July. August, you're going to start preparing for recruitment uh, if you're a residency administrator. Oh, I missed, you're going to do milestone and uh, ABIM reporting in June as well. Um, so that's another thing where June is just a disaster. August, you're going to start getting ready for recruitment. Uh, there's also the training exam that you're going to have to do for your residents in late August, early September. Typically, you have interviews for recruitment uh, starting October. You may go through January. There are two great times for vacation. I'm just going to say this again, February and July. Can you tell me a little bit about how um, undergraduate medical education is different as far as the calendar year? It is different because it's very cyclical. So however long your clerkship is, that's just going to repeat throughout the year. Some of you are going to have eight-week clerkships, some of you six-week or 12-week, but that process just repeats throughout the year. So you just, you need to learn when you start things. And it's going to be very different depending on your specific clerkship. There's going to be a point, um, you work with registration, the registrar office to talk about like 
specific numbers for different sites that students can rotate at. So you might have to reach out to clerkship sites around then to make sure that they can take students uh, at the same time throughout the year. If there are any changes, um, you need to figure out how you're going to meet the student numbers within your clerkship. Sometimes you're going to be involved in transition to residency courses that are going to be in April and May at your institution. If you are in a smaller program in GME or in clerkship, try not to be on vacation the same time as your clerkship director or your program director. There should be someone available to the medical students or to the residents at all times. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye, Whitney.